Ladies and gents, welcome to the Shroom Life Podcast. This is another episode from the Level 1 Angler Series, helping you catch your first brim on a soft plastic lure or helping you brush up on your skills and improve your results. So I've got several things that I'd like to talk to today, but I most definitely will be going over two things. Okay, so here comes the first bit on the agenda that I'm going to be talking about today. And it's about rods. It's about their one-piece or two-piece nature. Now, you can get rods of multiple pieces, three pieces and up. But let's talk about this first. So to introduce this question and the point that I'm trying to make here. So when you're talking about one-piece rod, it means that the rod cannot be taken apart at any stage. So it has no portability. And what you get is what you have. You can't fold it away per se. A two-piece rod generally will allow you to disassemble the rod somewhere around the middle of the rod. So if you have a seven-piece, seven-foot rod in length, then you're disassembling it to about, say, three and a half feet either side, something like that. Uh, these days, I don't know why there's been a big shift towards butt joins. Uh, I, I do have some ideas on why that might be, so I might talk about that a little bit later, but I still consider those pretty much two pieces. I mean, some... Brands like to list them as one and a half piece, but really that's two separate pieces. You've got a really short end with the butt and then you've got most of the rest of the blank. Now, three pieces and up do exist and you can imagine that the reasons why you have those rods is because those extra pieces will allow the maximum amount of portability. So if you're going on a trip, if you're trying to take it on a plane and you want to fit it into your luggage, it's much easier to just fold that up into a little rod tube rather than an extra long one to transport up. Now, firstly, in my opinion, a one piece is better than a two pieces or up when it when it comes to performance of the rod. So performance-based criteria will in, would involve, to me, sensitivity. Uh, number two, the trueness or the consistency of the action. And number three, weak points or like changes in the way that the rod behaves. I guess that might be, you know, like that last point there might lend itself into the second point. But anyway, so the sensitivity in a one piece is at its maximum because when you start to make rods with multiple pieces, it's just a matter of fact that you're just going to get through the method of joining them together through the ferrule, as they call it, you're going to have like a little microscopic air gap at the very minimum. And that's going to mean that you're going to lose transmission vibration through that. So I don't care what anyone really says about sensitivity. To me, out of all the rods that I've got, I can definitely tell you that my one pieces are way more sensitive than my multiple pieces, multiple piece rods, of which I've only got two. I don't think I've got anything besides fly rods, which have, you know, maybe four pieces. But really, everyone should be using one or two piece rods when it comes to lure fishing for brim unless you've got a really specific situation like i said when it comes to portability now also the way that the rod bends due to the fact that there's a little join in between the two pieces i've noticed that there is a slight change in the way that the rod might deviate especially under high loads i think these days with the technology and the you know the level of advancement in materials it's not so much of a big deal when it comes to two-piece rods. But if I'm going to be nitpicky, which I am going to be here, 
because I want to tell you the differences, then that is certainly a difference. So most rods don't bend thoroughly or con consistently through the ferrule of where you insert it from the two, from the you know from the male and the female join. That part tends to stay rather stiff and straight and doesn't deflect under pressure as much, uh, which I don't think you kind of you kind of don't want it to anyway because it's gonna cause problems where the join is. Because you can imagine you've got a male piece and a female piece. A male piece, if it's bending inside the female piece, what's that going to do? It's going to make the the hole bigger and maybe eventually it's going to weaken the ferrule joint and the pieces won't stay together on the cast, for example. You might have fly-offs. Fly-offs in terms of when you cast, the front top piece of the rod flies away and disconnects from the rod and ends up in the water, which is actually a probably one of the best case scenarios i've had i've actually seen mates cast and then have the rod tip pretty much not land in the water and land on rocks and need a new top piece uh to be ordered in so that's unfortunate you know but that's one of the downsides of having a two-piece now i have one piece and i've got two-piece rods and i've given you and i've just explained some of the advantages of having a one piece but there are still disadvantages with the one piece as well. So it's unfortunately, it's not a case of a clear yes or no, black and white, left or right sort of answer here. Because if you happen to damage or snap your one piece, you're going to have to replace your entire rod. So that's one thing you have to keep in mind. You can't just go buy a new top piece, which is going to be at a much more affordable price than replacing the whole rod, unless it's got some ridiculous warranty which I don't think rods these days have that kind of warranty I think um let me just I'm, I'm just trying to remember I think the G Loomis rods that I've had before came with some kind of a gold card some kind of a warranty card where they will replace the rod no questions asked but I haven't seen that around these days I don't think any brand offers that sort of warranty anymore including G-Lumis. I could be wrong here, but I'm just going by what I've seen. I have not seen that. So if you snap that one-piece rod, even if it's just a little fracture near the tip, that's it. You're going to have to live with it, especially if you're buying high-end gear like I am, really expensive rods. You're going to have to take... You're going to have to bite the bullet if you damage it. Now, with a two-piece, you can, most in most situations, replace the top half for... Uh, you know, for a price much cheaper than simply just half the price of the rod, you know, because it's got, you know, less guides, it doesn't include the butt of the rod. And I want to actually talk about that one and a half piece or the butt join with most of the blank and then just, you know, when you got those two pieces, but they call it one and a half piece, you just get the, the handle and then the rest of the rod. I think some brands are doing that because it just allows replacement of the rod, the damaged parts or, you know, warranty repairs to be much cheaper. Like if you think about it, if it's, like I said, if it's a one piece rod, then you're pretty much stuck up a creek without a paddle. So it's not, it's not good to replace for your own pocket or for the brand itself. Now, when it comes to a one and a half piece, suddenly you can still reuse you know, that technology that they put into the real seat. And these days, that's not, you know, that's got to be worth something. That's not trivial. They they put in like carbon infused materials. They've got 
nice grips. They've got, you know, the, you know, the locking mechanism. There's still some stuff there. But then you've got the rest of the rod, which they can replace with the guides. So it is still quite substantial, but you can see that there's cost savings there. And that's, that's just my ideas. That's just my stab in the dark uh, regarding that. Now, I felt many types and brands of rods that offer the same, say, line class and length, but they have a one-piece or a two-piece option. And in most circumstances, when I picked up both rods, I like the feel of the one piece, if that makes sense. It's just, it just feels a lot more solid and sensitive. But like I said, these days, the two piece rods aren't far behind. So just to summarize everything here, if you're purchasing a rod, just in my opinion, really, you're purchasing a rod, I would lean towards a one piece if you could cater to that and you're likely to not end up snapping rods so personally for me out of all the rods that i've owned i haven't snapped many at all i probably snapped two in my life two carbon fiber rods one time it was pretty much user error well actually i wouldn't even say it was user error because i was inside my house and i was just loading it up you know, that, that that's not under fishing condition. So I, I, I blew one carbon rod loading it up. It was a cheap rod, so it, it didn't matter. I was just trying to pretty much maximize, find out where the limit of the bend was and it exploded. So obviously don't do that. Be very careful because those carbon shards could fly into your eye. I'm just pretty lucky that they never did. Uh, that was one time. And the second time I snapped, uh, what was it? Yeah, I snapped I snapped one of my carbon rods when I was chasing carp, but I was chasing carp at night and one of my mates hooked on and I started running toward him and I tripped over my line and I knocked my rod down and I snapped the tip that way. But other than that, you know, I haven't really snapped rods. So to me, that's why I use a lot of one pieces. I generally don't snap my rods, but if you have a tendency to, you know, the two piece rod is the way to go. It's just a cheaper option, more economical option. Furthermore, if portability and storage is the main determinant, then you really don't have a choice except to go for two pieces. So that's how I would decide if I was to buy a rod. If I really needed to be able to fold it up and put it away, say put it into the vehicle, then two pieces is the only option that I can look at, which is pretty much had been my uh, thought process, especially at the start. But then once I realized that I could actually deal with a one piece, I went with that for the slight performance performance advantages as I talked about before. Okay, on to the next point on the agenda. I'm going to talk a little bit about lure colors because a lot of beginners really don't know what colors to use for certain situations. And I just want to firstly give an overall blanket statement here and just say that colors there are certain rules to choosing certain colors but it doesn't necessarily preclude you exclude you from catching fish even if you have the wrong color on it's a bit of a sliding scale sometimes it's the one thing that matters in the world completely and the only thing that they're switched onto and at other times i'll hit practically any color a lot of the time i must say when i'm choosing a color when i'm fishing trying to chase the particular species that I'm after, say brim, 
color matters to me, even though I know that their eyesight is more designed towards contrast detection than color recognition. So just want to quickly explain that statement there. So in short, human eyes are different to fish's eyes. We see a lot of color. We see a lot of contrast. Uh, our eyes, they don't work very well when it's dark, for example. We can't see in the night. We can kind of see in the night, but if you think about it, we basically see shades of, you know, gray. It's either completely pitch black or it's starting to have some shades of darkness and grayness. That's kind of what we see. We can't really see color at night. That's just the function of our body, of our eyes. So inside our eyes, you know, we've got that part of the eye that, you know, receives the light. That's the retina. So wherever we look, we can see because light enters our eyes and falls upon this retina. And on this retina, that's where we've got all our receptors, our photoreceptors. And we've got two types. We've got cones and we've got rods. And it's the types, those two types dictate what we kind of see, right? So rods basically give us contrast detection and cones which of I think of which there are three types give us, you know, the color detection. So if you're going to compare our eyes to fish's eyes, they have a higher proportion of rods relative to cones. So what that means is that they're not seeing the same thing as us, firstly. And number two, their eyes are more suited towards seeing contrast as opposed to color, which is how our, our, our eyes work. And it kind of makes sense because up above sea level, the atmosphere doesn't really exclude any color that we can see. But once you enter the water, everyone knows that, you know, it starts to look a certain kind of tint. And that's because certain wavelengths get filtered as you go deeper. So in a way, that does mean that the color of lure, if some people believe that it doesn't make a difference, possibly it doesn't make that much of a difference. And so that's why these days people lean towards other ways, such as patterns on the lures, such as UV absorption and reflection, you know, like UV active lures, as they say, they think that that's what works because fish can certainly see that, or at least animals in the animal kingdom can see that our eyes cannot detect that. So that's like another level of vision. But anyway, disregarding that, you know, that argument there. I'm just going to assume that color does matter because that's how I've always fished. Whether or not it's the fact that they see the color or it's the fact that that color has a certain contrast to them when it's in the water. That is how they tell between certain colors. I'm just going to leave it at that. But anyway, for example, let's just start off by talking about sunny, bright days, clear water. So if I'm fishing down the river... You know, I'm fishing in clear blue, clear green water, and the visibility is quite, quite, cl <laughs> quite clear. Okay, let's just give it a number. Let's say that you can, you look down in the water and you can see like at least two, three meters down. All right, I'm going to be using natural colors, something that's going to kind of blend in with a bait they might see. 
These colors would be whites, greens, blues. And you can get them in opaque, which means it's the solid color, or you can use transparent colors. If you start talking about transparent colors, they're those see-through colors. So I like using see-through colors in clear water. It just makes the most sense to me. The light does pass through the lure, makes it look natural. Now at the most natural color and type of plastic, I would say that would be clear white. Clear, it's got, uh, actually, is it even called white? It's just clear. It's just completely transparent. Looks like you're looking through a jellyfish. You know, those little jellyfish you sometimes see and you can see right through them, that sort of color. So the clearer the water, the more I'm gonna lean towards those colors. If the water is blue, I might lean towards a white or a blue plastic or some kind of a clear blue. If it's green, which is most often the case, most of the time when you're inshore, the color is, it's a greenish tinge. If you look in the harbor, especially plenty green. So I'm using green colors and you guys know what, you know, what lure goes off there, right? The ones that I use, right? Uh, green. Now, once you start heading up the river, so we're still like broad daylight, right? Still broad daylight. You head up the river, the, the, the turbidity, which means that the clarity of the water is starting to go down. And then along with that, you're starting to get a transition to like a brownish tinge. So you're starting to enter water, which is like a little bit more brown, but it's still kind of clear. You can still throw plenty of your clear colors, but then I'm starting to throw colors which are a little bit more opaque to kind of suit that turbidity. I want it to just kind of like not be as transparent as the color, as the water around it, just be a little bit less transparent and a little bit more solid in color. So if you're using whites, you might use like a more solid white with some fleck in there. You know, like a, it looks like it's more substantial. You might use a solid green. You, you might start also using browns. So browns is, brown color is the second sort of color that I kind of gravitate towards as I start heading up. It just seems like if I'm in one extreme down the river, you know, your greens, your clears work well, you start heading up the river, well, brown. Brown is a, quite a safe bet. It's probably one of the most natural colors you're going to see. It's going to blend in with the mud. You're going from sand down in the lower reaches. As you move up, you get a mixture of sand and mud, and eventually it's just practically mud all the way up. And on the low tide, the water's extremely brown. On the high tide, it's brown but clear, and it might have a tiny bit of a tinge to, of greenness. So then it's brown. And... You know, you, you can also choose certain types of shades of brown as well. So you're leaning towards like browns to purples, browns to reds. And it just depends on the bait fish that you might see. But in terms of like just suiting it to the conditions, that's kind of like the way that I look at it. Now, if I'm starting to fish at night, then it's it's more about the silhouette of the lure in most circumstances to me. So I have the least confidence when I'm fishing a completely colorless and clear, transparent lure. It has worked for me before. Sometimes when you're fishing under really bright lights, that clear lure does seemingly work. 
but in my mind it just doesn't seem to connect but i know that what i see is not what the fish sees because not only do they see the lure they can sense the lure with their lateral line but you know just to keep it according to sight anyway just on the sight of the fish i'll be using something that's got like a shadow a silhouette as they say so you can start going towards like your blacks you, you know your browns generally still work your your solid your, your solid colors work very well now is there any other color that i haven't really mentioned because i'm starting to delve into like what what's it called like you know detection of vibration through the lateral line so yeah i guess i might as well just talk about that so you know if you're fishing in clear water you can use faster moving lures if you're fishing in more turbid waters or darker waters then lures with a bit more action so the ones that don't have action would be the flick bait style the ones that have quite a lot of action would be your grub wriggler tails and paddle tails which have very strong vibration so yeah that's um that's that's pretty much how you that's pretty much in a nutshell how i can summarize the choice of colors and i'd just like to end this part by saying you know like you can go according to all the rules in the world and follow along actually let, let's talk about one more let's talk about like pinks pink pink is seem seemingly a weird color that's made in many plastics these days and people seem to use them in two situations they use pinks when they're fishing extremely deep water and they're using pinks when they're fishing right on the surface and it's the same thing with yellow yellow seems to be a color they use on the surface as well i don't know if it's related to for example you know just how things look when the sun's shining in their eyes from the top but it seems as though those two colors people seem to like to use them in clear water and with the sun up high if you're fishing right on the top with the plastic or actually not not even just plastic it could be just a hard body as well or if you're fishing extremely deep okay now getting back to where i was which was just pretty much ending this with a summary here so whether or not you believe colors makes a big difference or not i just want to say that i've always fished accordingly according to the rules that color has mattered even though i've just explained all the you know a little bit of the science in what they see i think personally that what we see and what they see is different and so we might be choosing a color that looks like a certain way to our eyes and they may not see it as that but that doesn't mean that that is not indistinguishable from another color due to the contrast detection and so i still fish like that and my results at least empirically or anecdotally amongst you know friends and myself and you know everyone else that you know and you've talked to probably doesn't just literally just pick any random color most of the time sometimes color doesn't matter sometimes color does matter and it's the one thing that matters it's the biggest determinant for that session i think that in terms of what you could do always start throwing around the colors you think would work first which is kind of like my approach i like to throw the colors that i think in my mind tick some boxes and when it doesn't work i come up with an idea why that won't work and try a different color eventually you're going to hone down onto something that works for the day and that's going to improve your success all right ladies and gents thank you very much this is going to be the end of this next episode i think this is number 
12 in the series now. I'm also going to be doing some more advanced podcasts, in particular with guests talking about species. I've done a few of those over the last couple of years sporadically, but I'm going to be getting back to that in conjunction with this series. If you know your listeners still want me to continue this one here with the level one beginner series, I'd be happy to to do that as well. As always, if you have any questions or you have anything that you'd like me to address in a future podcast, yeah, go shoot me a message on any of my social medias. You can just literally just drop a comment along any YouTube video and I'll see it. This is The Shroom, signing out.